Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Hello everyone, welcome back. And a good hearty hello, especially to those who have left a rating and review on the podcast. Good blessings to you and your household. So on the podcast today, you are in for a treat as I am joined by the wonderful Reverend Dr. Uh, Esther Akalatse. And let me just give you a little <laughs> bio for Dr. Akalatse. She is a graduate of the University of Ghana, Harvard Divinity Divinity School and Princeton Theological Seminary, where she got her degree. And she has written a book, Principalities, Powers, and the Spirit, Biblical Realism in Africa and the West. And uh, this was such a great interview, a great sit down, almost fireside chat that we get into a variety of topics that... I, I believe will really, really, really bless you. And a bit of a context for our conversation. I met Dr. Akalatse at a pneumatology conference right before the world shut down. Um, literally a month and a half before the world shut down in January uh, 2020, I believe. And here in a room full of white people, there was this wonderful uh, woman, unassuming, but was full of vigor and life. And, and I didn't know it, but on the last day, she was one of the presenters. And when she opened her mouth, she was full of the presence of the spirit and we talk about that a bit in um our chat and it really truly blessed me transformed me and showed me that there is a way forward in the academy for people uh, who look like me and she is such a wonderful soul and so get into this interview y'all get into it tap in Later in the podcast, I am going to be doing a reading from the wonderful Dolores Williams from Sisters in the Wilderness. And so sit back and relax and get into uh, Black Coffee and Theology. Bless y'all. This may be a place to say this. When God has used you to cast out demons, when your little hands have touched people who have been healed instantly, when angels have carried your suitcase and carried you to safety, you cannot unknow those things. You cannot unsee them without doing serious damage to your psyche. And so I don't play. 
Welcome everybody back to the pod and I am joined whew, by an esteemed guest, Dr. Esther Alcalatze. Is that correct? Oh, okay. Yes. And who I want to introduce her first by saying one of my many goals on this podcast is to break down the, you know, sometimes there's this a bit of a rift between the everyday lay person within the church and Christian spaces and the academy or the, the supposed upper elite of Christianity. And I love to have conversations and organic life with the whole body of Christ. And so in this podcast, I, I want to have all types of rich conversation with people whom I respect and have musings, right? And so uh, Dr. Esther is someone that I, I want to first say that <laughs> um, I first met a few years ago in California at uh, at a pneumatology conference. Uh, <laughs> and it it was so rich because some of the sessions at this pneumatology conference were very heady and people were reading these very rich uh, papers and all of these um, all of these aspects and all these angles about the Holy Spirit and uh, the works of the Holy Spirit. And I was wanting something a bit more and I was yearning for something a bit more. And I was texting friends that as the hours uh, were going on that I, I, I need to, I need something more. Right. And um, so on one of the last sessions, um, Dr. Esther comes up and delivers this stunning uh, word and paper uh, that was so embodied and rich on the, the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit that it stuck with me. And I started messaging all my friends that <laughs> I wish that you all were here. So uh, with that introduction, I want to say that um, since that time, I have loved seeing the work of this brilliant scholar and theologian. Um, and yes, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm privileged to be here because I think that um, the actual work of theology is done in this space and by lay people, you know, following the work of God in their lives and in the world and trying to make sense of it. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, so tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do and how you show up in the world, what's important to you. <laughs> so who am I is a little girl I like to say from from Africa Ghana in particular who grew up 
with a grandmother who taught me how to do theology in community with both living and the dead. Semi-literate, you might say, elementary school education, but as smart as a whip. And today I look back to the things I learned as a child. And I think all I do in my theological work is really reclothing those, <laughs> those words that my grandmother taught me in, in larger vocabulary. Yeah. And what is important to me is to think with other people. So I show up in the world really to, to live in communion with other people who want to think about God and what God is doing in the world. And especially how we can help the world flourish. I think one of my favorite scriptures is, uh, I have come that you may have life and have it in all its fullness. Mm -hmm. And I keep looking for places where we can, you know, uh, germinate the fullness of, of God. And for me right now, it just happens to be in the theological academy and the church. I hope that makes a little sense. It does make, a, it makes a whole lot of sense. Oh, I, so full disclosure, you coming to the table, I couldn't pick one topic to talk about with you because I respect your ministry so much that I just had to pick your brain about so many things <laughs> because, <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> because typically when people come to the table, I have one bent that I want to mine out and talk about. Uh, but with you coming to the table, I just said, okay, I have a list of <laughs> questions and topics that I want to commune together <laughs> about. Um, so I hope that's okay, <laughs> um, okay. to have this organic conversation. Yes, we, will, we will think together. <laughs> we will think. No, because I, I, I think what I've appreciated, even with uh, going back to that first time interacting with you, was I appreciated the humility that I saw with you as I saw you go from session to session. Uh, I saw you first as an observer in each session. And you ask such unassuming questions that one would not have even known that you were a professor. And I saw the curiosity and the delight of you just being a student of theology in each session that it was so funny to then see you as a main presenter on the last day. <laughs> and I thought, this is, this is the kind of um scholar that that I want to learn from right like it it seemed like there was this playfulness that and this curiosity that uh that I just find absent sometimes in um the theological academy right like sometimes professors seem to be know-it-alls 
and they seem to know, they seem to have their um, credentials and they lose that wonder. Um, what do you think about that? Or how do you keep that delight uh, as you continue to study God? Oh, thank you. Um, important question. I think that for me, I truly believe in the fact that disciples are learners. So any opportunity to learn, I take. And I think that when I am in such conferences, you know, I, I am trying to, to see if someone can offer a different take on even something that I know. So I'm always listening, you know, because I think that most of the work happens between the cracks. So I'm always trying to, to find new things in what someone has said, new things that I can, I, I can process and add to what I know already. So maybe that's what you experienced with me. But I think that Jesus was serious when he invites us to be like a child. And if you lose that, what you're calling delight, uh, if you lose that playfulness, you will not find God, I think. Yeah, I agree. But at the same time, as a black woman in the academy, I am someone who insists that students address me as Dr. Akolazi. And playfully, I say Dr. A. So all my students, I mean, I did substitute teaching in elementary school, you know, before I taught at Loyola. And Dr. A has stuck with me so that there is both the, the playfulness, but the the respect that comes with, with how far I have come. And, and I think that what professors ought to do, and I, people do it in different ways, it, it, is that balancing of we are learners together, especially if you're a theologian, that we are learners together because we are disciples. Those you're teaching are disciples as well as you. And yet your teacher, so, you know, because the disciples called Jesus master, he chose to call them friends. So it, 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 it's that pull and push, that, that tension that we need to hold well. I love that. And, 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 and doctor, can you say a bit more about the, the tension of being a black woman in the academy? You're a black woman in the academy when you show up in a classroom or even walk in the corridors of classrooms, you know that people are not assuming you a scholar, a teacher, an academic. At most, they are assuming a glorified janitor. And so how you hold yourself in the academy for me and how I hold myself before students is not so much that I can be 
seen as the know-all or the doctor. It is really to facilitate my teaching and to make learning easy because I need to decolonize your, your mind about who is in front of you. I need to say, um, you may know, or you may think you know women, but look again, you know? And um, so it is more for the learning of the students that I insist, this is Dr. Akalatse, if you want playfully, this is Dr. A, you know? so that you can open your mind, so that you can pick up something. Oh. It doesn't come easy often, but usually by fourth, fifth week. I love it. You know, people come aboard and then real learning happens in class. And one more thing on that, do you find, <clears throat> as a black woman in the academy that the way you do theology and maybe the offerings that you bring to the theological table are different you know how would you how would you assess the way that you do theology and your offerings in the the spaces that you reside in because I, yeah, because I will say, <laughs> I will say, honestly, <laughs> again, see, watching you in person, when you presented <laughs> at that conference, it was night and day difference. <laughs> Dr. A, it was, I mean, honestly, we had been talking, <laughs> we had been talking about pneumatology, right? The, the, the doctrine mm -hmm. Uh, uh -huh. about the Holy Spirit, right? You, <laughs> when you got up onto that podium, I felt the Holy Spirit walk in the room, <laughs> and and so even me asking that question is tongue in cheek because it was a completely different offering. Honestly, I felt it was night and day different. Uh, and it's why I used the word embodied earlier, because the oh, offering oh. That, that you brought wasn't just a cerebral offering and talking about something that you had not experienced. It definitely, you brought your life in, into play, that which you had experienced, seen and heard, touched and felt. And I definitely that is like John, isn't it? Exactly. What we and, have seen, what we have heard. And what you have felt. And I definitely I I was messaging all my friends. I wish I had the text messages from that because I felt like it was a three-dimensional experience. Uh <laughs> truly. Well, I can say bless the Lord because yeah. um that morning I was still processing mm. and uh a friend gave me a gift, one of the plenary speakers, Dr. Ratna. I was saying, it feels like I'm not done. And I kept saying, why is, does this always happen to me? Mm. But on the wall, on one of the walls at Biola, as I walked out, was this, it was like God was saying, it's not by might, 
No, by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm not sure if anybody saw that, but it just hits me. And this was the gift I was saying Dr. Radner gave me. He said, mm -hmm. Esther, don't worry. All creative thinkers are like that. Yes. And that freed me to come with what I had, even though in my head it wasn't done. Because most of the work is done you know, in my heart, in my spirit, I mean, I come from Africa and we believe that you think with your stomach, your gut knows more than you know. So it is also not just speaking from your head, but speaking from your whole body so that your body is reading the room and deciding who needs what. So I may have been teaching, but there's a sense in which I also knew that I was ministering so that people can receive what they need. But I believe that you're right in that uh, to know something about God is different from knowing God. And yes. my own experience from childhood living with God, I think if you read what I write, it's palpable on the stage. I always have to make the, the decision whether I would tell people what I believe and how I believe, or whether I will just say what I know. And I made the decision long ago in my career that people will know what I have seen, what I have experienced, and make a decision as to whether I have a brain or not. Mm -hmm. I was not going to be the, the theologian who first wants to be known as someone who can think with the best of the best. I want to be the theologian who can invite people into the life of God. Otherwise, I come from far. I could not walk in snow and sleet and do that. I might as well go home. <laughs> so, yes. so, 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 so that is it. And this may be a place to say this. When God has used you to cast out demons, when your little hands have touched people who have been healed instantly, when angels have carried your suitcase and carried you to safety, you cannot unknow those things. You cannot unsee them without doing serious damage to your psyche. And so I don't play those games. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. So what's in my cup? A little portrait coffee, y'all. Um, ocean, oceans, liturgy is what's in my cup, and I, I, I just really like the taste of this particular um, brew. Don't ask me technical questions, cause that's not me. That ain't me. That's never gonna be me. But oceans, <laughs> liturgy, is what's in my cup. Um, yeah.
Yes, and if I can insert here, that is encouraging, inspiring in many ways, especially for those of us looking for a way forward in theology and in Christianity in general, right? I, we, many of us are looking for ways forward in paths that haven't been prescribed or described to us. And I think often the theologians that are before us are often, um, at least on the North American continent, are white males, right? And for better or for worse, for better or for worse, the, a lot a lot of those their ways of thinking they do not serve us um, in fullness. And it's not say, and I'm not saying that we can't learn things that we that they don't provide richness for us. Um, but when they are provided as the, our only models, it can be very discouraging when you look at the vast scope of the theological academy and you don't see any other ways forward. So what you're saying is very inspiring, especially when it pertains to the life of God and the spirit and, and the active choice that you're talking about making about the type of theology that you would do the type of works that you would do and you making active choices. Um, I don't take that lightly as you're offering that right now, because I want you to know as a younger man, that makes space for people like me uh, and my peers as we are coming behind and we need models that tell us that we don't have to do it, you know, a, a conventional way that we can create theological spaces as well, that we can learn from brethren of all eth ethnicities, and we can also create, you know, works our own way as well, right? So it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It, it, it's finding voice yes. and, and believing that your voice matters. Yes. And teaching everyone to listen to everyone. So mm. I value the work of my um, uh, white colleagues a lot yes. because they, they, they do the deep archival work that for me, I can, as a practical theologian, you know, I can pull the history that they, they, they work hard to, to excavate and I can yes. pull all these resources and then say, can I put shoes on them and can these walk in lives and bring change? Yes. Yes, But I think what the academy lost along the way is to valorize some types of ways of, of, of knowing and, and, you know, devalue others. And that is where the mistake was. And, and I think that is what brings us to the place of, do I do what they all do, lest I be thought of as less than. I absolutely agree. Hmm. I have this question brewing that I've, I've wanted to ask you. And it's, um, okay, so looking at the world in light of all that the world has suffered and is suffering, 
I want to ask, you know, especially in light of COVID-19, let's say, you know, we're suffering, you know, the, you know, this pandemic has rocked the world and is continuing to rock us uh, all, all across the globe. What is something that you think that scholars, theologians, academics can offer during this time? And I especially want to frame it around the last time that I saw you in person. It's interesting. That, that was an interesting intersection for me because that was during the time of my birthday. Um, and I was so excited to go to this conference and I was full of excitement, the life of God, inspired to do theology uh, my way and uh, sat there um, getting all this good information, went to the beach afterwards. And then shortly after that, the world was in crisis and everything shut down right after that, literally everything. And I have often thought back to that conference and thought, what, what is the role of the scholar and the academic during times of shakings and rumblings? And, and so what would you say to that? What could scholars and academics give to, to us dur during a hurting time? Hmm. I think that speaks to theology in the public square. Mm. And um, I mean, you and I uh, watch the, the things that, you know, bloom on Twitter, if I may say. Yes. Yeah. If I may say. Truly. And on Facebook and, mm. and, and, and all of that. And mm. um, I think that um, the theologians, I belong to the Society for Pastoral Theology. And in a few weeks, maybe a special issue of pastoral, uh, the Journal of Pastoral Theology is going to come out with um, articles exploring dimensions of COVID that pastors can use, that the academy can use to, to teach and help people because this is going to be with us for a long time. And I, I know many uh, theologians who tried to hold space for spiritual nomads to, to, to find a place of rest, you know, and one such was one created by um, a, a few new colleagues and I called Sunday mornings at home, which we thought was going to be about three or four months and now it's still going. So those are some practical things. How can we help the world think through suffering, which will always be with us? My mother has a saying which I hold dear. Uh, pain is elder, she likes to say. You can't ask it to go away. You may ask nicely that it shift so you sit by it. Think about that for a moment. Yeah. Because it was here before you came. What is the role of, mm. of, of theology 
in the life of pain? What is the role of God? What I have tried to do is to invite people again to think, especially with COVID, especially with people resisting just common sense about what to do and what not to do, is to invite conversation again about providence and free will. To ask how much have we contributed to how big this has become and how much of it came to us? What is our role in shaping the kind of world we're living in? And how may we ask God to intervene? And what may we expect of God? What I know is that God does not give answers to direct questions like this. Job shows us that, right? Right. When God shows up, he talks about, about see my creation, see my that. Have you seen that? He doesn't answer Job, why am I suffering? So I don't give answers either. I just tell myself, this is still my father's world and it is not going to hell in a handbasket. And human beings, no matter what they do, are not going to destroy it. It will be up to God as to when and how. But for now, we can hold each other in community and hold each other in love. And that means wearing your mask and taking your vaccine. Hmm. I love that. I one thing that you said that that really resonated with me is to invite conversation, and I I really want to say that I have really respected the the scholars that have responded to this time with inviting conversation because I realized that this pandemic probably has shaken the, the, the scholar life, the professor life, um, those who are um, professional academics and professional theologians supremely, right? It, the, the flow of how you all do your life is probably very difficult <laughs> because um, <laughs> you know um, I'm a seminarian. So I realize for those who, who originally you all had been probably used to a certain rhythm. You, you, whether you are publishing articles or you're in the classroom a certain amount and life kind of swept that under the rug and people are having to get used to zoom or teaching class you know through the these zoom classrooms and uh, and i have witnessed firsthand how difficult uh that is for teachers now um or um trying to host conferences through zoom or trying to publish through these different mediums and some have uh rebounded better than others. Um, but I, I think I've really respected those who have especially taken to social media to begin to invite conversations because 
I really love that portion of what you're saying because it's one thing to to yes, publish some answers and to publish some good, thoughtful articles. And I have benefited from some of those richly. Um, some people have posted some good devotionals and different things to anchor us. But I've really benefited in the space of social media, especially on Twitter, from those who have come to reason together with people and to invite really difficult conversations. And those have been such a blessing to me because we're all trying to figure this out um, mm -hmm. together. And that has almost equalized us out. Like, yes, there's a certain level of credentials here, but none of us have been through a pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. And I Unless have- Unless you're hundred and something. Yes, you're right, yeah. <laughs> Unless you're in your hundreds. And, uh, and so, wrestling with God together, rest in, in, in all in the mix together and asking very, very, very difficult questions um, and staying in that fire together has been very, very beautiful to me. Um, and I think scholars being in that place has been extremely beautiful to me personally. Um, and I think- oh, that, that is good go to ahead. know. Go ahead. No, I'm saying that is good to know. And I, I think that for me, especially in the early months, you know, when we were all in lockdown and then we began to inch out, I think that I experienced gratitude from people. I experienced um, I experienced humanity in a way that I had not experienced humanity mm. in a long time, especially being in the West. And I've kept certain comments, you know, at the forefront of my, of my mind. When we go out and the, the air is richer and fuller and nicer yes. and we can breathe, you know, because the cars, you know, have not been yes. clattering, yes. you know, the highways. Yes. And we could tell that. And people were kind. I mean, I hardly ever did my own uh, groceries. People did groceries. People had uh, mm -hmm. codes to my garage door opener and would come drop, you know? Yes. And I experienced that too as part of this pandemic. And what he kept teaching me again and again is that always we are never left in total darkness, that mm -hmm. there is always light, even if it is one tiny one, you know, that we can walk towards. And I think that is part of, I see part of the uh, invitation to conversation and, and the public work of the theologians as part of this light mm -hmm. and, and communities you know, forming around how we can help each other. Mm. Mm. I think it helped us endure. Yes. Mm. And I think that's part of the way forward, right? Like I, mm -hmm. you know, as we are, this will be our new normal is 
trying to restructure our society moving forward with this ache and this open wound, right? Uh, and around this terrible tragedy that has happened to all of us at once. And, and we will have to rebuild structures um, governmentally, medically, and you, interpersonally, and in terms of our conversation today, theologically, is how do we do now theology differently? How do we do life within the church differently? It sh we can't go back. There is no normal to go back to. <laughs> that bridge is burned. <laughs> um, you know, how, yeah. how can we do things differently? How can we do communal care differently moving forward? How can we honor one another differently moving forward? Because there is nothing to go back to. How can we do this? I love what you keep bringing up this work of doing theology in the public differently. Um, many of us were cast into doing this public theology for better or for worse um, in, the, in the public eye uh, differently. Um, so how do we do it moving forward? I think this is something that is ongoing now because the pandemic isn't over uh, and, mm -hmm. and, there is nothing for us to go back to, and we are still building this ship as we speak now. You know, this conversation is part of building the ship. And so it's a bit scary and frightening as we're still building, you know. So I love what you're saying, personally. Yeah, and I'm, I'm saying that we have all this work to do, knowing that we first have to clean house. Mm because we have contributed to the mess. Mm. You know, I don't want to point fingers at a particular kind of theologian or particular kinds of theologies, but mm. if the unity of the church is at stake, we, we have um, contributed to the mess and we probably are. So how do we first talk to one another as church, talk to each other? so we can talk to, to those outside the church. That's good. Just have a couple more questions. Um, switching gears a little bit, what, what are your current topics of study that intrigue you the most? Like right now, what is intriguing you as far as your personal study? Um, goes. Ah, personally, I think I'm working on a a big project on migration and Christian identity. Mm, okay. Um, is is what we know as Christian changing? with migration, internal and external. Whoa. And in the face of migrant angst, who are we as a church? Mm. So that, that is uh, 
something small to say about a big project. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm curious about that project now. I'm like, all right. <laughs> migrant angst. Yeah, yeah. because uh, we all know what is happening at the borders and many of us have been migrants. Yes. For a while. I mean, after 30 years in the U.S., people still ask you when you're going to, when you go home. And it's not even the street people who ask you. It's people at church who ask mm -hmm. when you will go home or mm -hmm. who may say, uh, thank you for visiting, you know? Yes. And, um, yeah. Mm. And what might it mean to, to care for the migrant as caring for oneself? Mm. Because now we know if the anything has taught us, the pandemic has taught us, there is no other. Yeah. It is us because something happens in China, we all, the whole world got it. So how are you going to be saying me, you, they, them? It, it's not possible anymore. And can the church wrap its, you know, its faith around this uh, and, and, and rethink who is other or who is neighbor to use a, a biblical term who is my neighbor <laughs> because you are your neighbor <laughs> well, that, that is playfulness <laughs> yeah. and then other things i think i'm helping uh to rethink black theology for for the church today So, and that is a project with other people. I'm intrigued. <laughs> I'm yeah. certainly intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> so this reading is going to be from Sisters in the Wilderness, The Challenge of Womanist God Talk by Dolores Williams. I realized I had stumbled upon the beginning of an answer to my question. Where was I to begin in my effort to construct theology from the point of view of black women's experience? I was to begin with the black community, composed of females and males, and, in, and its understanding of God's historic relation to black female life. Amen. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for, for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.